Well, church, we're going to jump right in uh, to the book of Titus. Um, we've been in Titus for about, this is our 14th week, so I'm, this is my last sermon in the book of Titus. This is a record for me. Uh, to finish a book in 14 weeks is some type of speed walking for me. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, but maybe I won't finish today. We'll find out what's happening today. Um, I've really actually enjoyed the book of Titus a lot. I don't know if you have, um, but I've really enjoyed the time that I've gotten to look in the word here. And, and let me remind you what's been going on uh, in the book of Titus as you're turning in your Bibles to Titus chapter three. Uh, here's what's been going on. Uh, Titus has been on the island of Crete, the luxury island of Crete, let me call it that, uh, for one last time. And if you haven't seen pictures of Crete, you can Google it, C-R-E-T-E, that place is an awesome island in the Mediterranean. It's beautiful. And, and Paul traveled around that island, planting churches in all the villages and towns around that island. And as he was doing that and planting those churches, um, he left a whole bunch of brand new churches, baby churches that had no idea what a church was, barely knew the gospel. He leaves those churches. They don't have like the New Testament or the Bible, don't have any of that stuff. So he leaves those churches and he leaves a guy named Titus there to go around and finish establishing those churches. So Titus has got a few jobs but getting these churches set up and ready to rumble is his job, his primary uh, job of concern. So chapter one, talk to Titus about setting up the right leadership in the church, setting up people of character and quality that really know and love Jesus and obey his word. And a plurality of elders is what it seemed like in every single one of these churches around the island of Crete. And so that was part of the thing of Titus chapter one. And then Titus chapter two, Titus's job is to get the teaching in order, to make sure they're connecting through the generations teaching each other the good news and, and the true things about God and teaching each other how to live in light of that gospel. And in chapter three, he's been talking about how the church is supposed to live in their city, how they're supposed to be lights and what types of works are supposed to be presenting to their neighbors so that they'll come to know Jesus and see the grace of God at work in our lives. That's, that's my quick summary of the, of the book of Titus. And let me just tell you a few things that have been happening. At, at the end of Titus chapter two, Paul makes this amazing statement where he tells them, Hey, it's the grace of God that's taught us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to living right living. He says, it's God's grace. God's grace has been showered out on all of us. It's been poured on us and it trains us to fight sin and to do good. That, that's what the grace of God is supposed to teach us to do. And he goes through the gospel there. And in verse 15 of chapter two, he says this to Titus. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And what's he talking about there? I think he's talking about the gospel teaching of the word of God. He's saying, listen, do not let anyone ignore the gospel teaching that you're supposed to be giving. You, you declare it, you rebuke, you exhort, you, whatever you got to do, just don't let people ignore the gospel. And then he goes into these instructions in chapter three, verse one and two. I don't know if y'all remember these or not, but if not, let me remind you says this remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities that can feel hard depending on who your boss is or who the governor is or the king is to remind them to be obedient to the governing authorities to be ready for every good work be on the starting line ready to do a whole bunch of good works to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling to be gentle 
to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So, so here Paul is saying, listen, you need to remind them that here's how they're supposed to live in their city. They're supposed to be submissive to the governing authorities. They're supposed to be gentle. Like they're, not, they're not supposed to be slandering and talking evil. They need to be thoughtful and caring and loving to those around them. And the church needs to be busy doing a whole bunch of good works. That's, that's my summary. And then he makes this amazing statement there in verse three. Here's what he says. Why? Why does this matter? For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. In other words, there was a time that we were without God and without grace and without hope. And there was a time, the reason we want to be kind to people and patient with people and thoughtful and submissive, the reason we want to do a ton of good works is not because you ought to. The reason you want to do all these things is because look at the amazing work that Jesus has done. Like, listen, there was a time we were hard-hearted and away from God and God decided to show us kindness and mercy, and he decided to save us, and we didn't earn it or deserve it. What is that? That's called the good news. It, again, you see Paul coming back to this thing of saying, listen, it's Titus, it's the good news. The church is to be rich in good works because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saying that over and over and over again. Now that's all review. Let me jump into our passage for this morning. He says this in verse eight. He says, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. Let me just hit pause right there. That saying is trustworthy. Let me remind you what he just did. For verses three through seven, all Paul did was unpack the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came for us while we were sinners, that he showed us love and mercy by dying for us and that he's at work in our hearts. He says, listen, this saying, this, this gospel saying, it's trustworthy. Like you, you got to remember this, Titus, the gospel is trustworthy. Why would he need to say that to Titus? Why would he need to remind him, hey, the gospel is trustworthy? I mean, does a guy that's really left his family and his home and is traveling around the world, helping establish churches, does that guy need to be reminded that the gospel is trustworthy? Well, if, he, if he's like me, the answer is yes. Right, like, because there's a lot of times when I feel like I'm trying to labor in my heart and this sin keeps sticking, right? Y'all ever experienced that? We begin to ask this question, man, I don't know if this thing is working because this sin seems really, really strong. Or, or maybe it just feels like, man, you may not be struggling with sin, but just loving life. Like when you start reading things in the Bible that talk about joy and peace and happiness, you're like, man, I don't know nothing about joy, peace, and happiness. You start reading things where he says it was supposed to be happening in my heart. And it can be really easy to start saying this. I, I don't know if this gospel really works. I don't know if it's stronger than my sin. I don't know if it's strong enough than my sadness or my lack of joy. It sure doesn't seem like I feel more loving or, or maybe for you, maybe for Titus the rub is he gets into that church and he starts working in that church and things seem slow and agonizing. Like for Titus, like I thought I would start preaching the gospel and people would get saved left and right. And it seems slow and the people of the church seem slow to get it. Maybe this gospel isn't that trustworthy. Listen, here's the good news. The gospel is trustworthy. Whether you feel it or not, he's reminding Titus that the gospel is trustworthy. Whether you see it exploding on the scene or not, in the midst of suffering and a church that feels slow for Titus, listen, the gospel is trustworthy. And I don't know what you're struggling with today. 
You might be hearing, life is great for you. You're like, yeah, I know the gospel is trustworthy. Everything's been going well. For those of you, you can just fall asleep for the next couple minutes. But for others of us, uh, things feel a little more bumpy than that, right? Things don't feel well. Things feel rocky and hard and shaky. And I want to remind us all today that the gospel is trustworthy. And it's not trustworthy just because someone else told us so. Let me tell you why it's trustworthy. Because Jesus is trustworthy and faithful. Our our confidence is not in tradition. Our confidence is that Jesus said, when I died on the cross and came back to life three days later, I'm going to do a work in you. My confidence that he will do what he said. My confidence is in, is in his character, not in the traditions passed down to us. It's in the character of Jesus. Listen, his good news and his gospel is trustworthy. Whether you see it working or not, whether you feel it or not, in those dark moments of the night when you're awake and whatever is gnawing at you feels like it's wearing you out, I want you to be reminded that Jesus is trustworthy. He's trustworthy, church. Don't lose sight of that. As a church, I want to remind us all the time, he's trustworthy. When we're together, I want us to remind each other, he's trustworthy. When we're singing songs, I want you to sing songs and see how he's strong. Then I want us to remember that he's trustworthy. I don't want my circumstances to yell louder than his promises. You ever had that happen? That my circumstances that feel really rough, they feel like they're yelling a whole lot louder in my word than his promise that he'll be next to me and with me. I want him to speak louder. I want his promises to be louder than everything that's happening around me. I want to look to him and I want to remember that he alone is trustworthy. That, that's good news to me. That may not feel like good news to you today. Uh, if not, that's because I didn't share it good enough, all right? But he's trustworthy. But look at what else it says here. Here's what he's telling Titus. This, this gospel that's trustworthy, this, this good news, he says this in verse 8, I want you to insist on these things. Like, listen, I want you to make sure you insist. I mean, like, you need to be firm. Like, you draw a line in the sand. This is what we know. That's what he's saying. You, Titus, you insist on it. And nothing else. You only insist. You only insist on the gospel. And you insist on it over and over and over. You draw a line and say, we don't ever cross it. You draw a target and say, that's the only target that we go after, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. There is no other target. It's that target, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's our target. You insist on it, Titus. You're setting up these churches. You're setting up their leadership. You're setting up the teaching. You're setting up the works they're supposed to do. But there is one bullseye. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. You insist on the church staying focused on that target. Listen, as as I read that, I can't help but ask myself a few questions. Um, And here's the question. Do we as a church actually have that type of laser focus? And I would actually, actually ask it even broader than that. Do very many churches in the U.S. have that type of gospel laser-like focus that we've insisted that this is the thing that we teach and these are the things that we do? Listen, church, it, we have to insist on this. And, and here's why I think that's important. I, and you may be hearing this for the first time, but I want to make sure. I, I've said this repeatedly. I want to make sure that we get this. The gospel that we have to sit on or insist on, sit on. I don't even know what that meant. Uh, the gospel we have to insist on is these two things. It's 
It's that the good news of how we actually get saved and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to hold to that. There is no negotiating on those truths. And let me remind you what those truths are. And here's the truth simply. Jesus died for us. He came back to life and he offers us forgiveness and a new heart if we'll place our trust in him. He's saying, listen, you need to, you need to insist on this. You, you don't get to water that down or change it. You cannot change the way that people come to God. But there's something more here. The gospel is not just how we get saved. We need that gospel for how we live the Christian life. It's how we live saved. I, some of you, you've been here, you've been hearing me say this over and over and over again, but insisting on the gospel is not just saying, this is how we get saved. Insisting on the gospel is reminding us that this is how we actually live the Christian life. Like, like let me give you a couple examples. The gospel tells me how I deal with my current failures. What does the gospel say to my current failures? Listen, here's what it says. It says this, I'm totally forgiven. He said, listen, I paid the full price on the cross. It doesn't just say that. It says, I'm totally clean, like fully and completely and for real, not pretend, not make believe. You and I, if we are in Jesus, we are fully clean. You know what makes you clean? Not your behavior this last week. Jesus makes us clean. Because I don't know what you did this weekend. I don't know what you did last week. I don't know how many kabillion times you failed in the last year, but here's what I do know. Jesus says, if you're in him, he cleans you and he meant it and he did it right. That means you're clean. That, that means when we deal with our failures, it's the gospel that we insist on when dealing with our failures and shortcomings. You wanna know how to deal with sin? Listen, I, I'm not saying accountability, whatever methods you got aren't helpful tools, but they will never kill sin in my heart. I need the gospel. I need Jesus to do a work that my outside, my self-control won't fix. I need Jesus to fix me. Listen, that's good news for me because if I have to fix myself, I stink at it. I really do. You ever tried to fix yourself? There's a whole bunch of self-help books. I'm just telling you, they don't really help the self that much. They just don't. There's always something gnawing because the inside hasn't changed. Man, the good news, the gospel that we insist on is that when we're dealing with our sin, we kill it by the power of Jesus, not our own strength. Listen, how do you deal with the good things that you do? I'm not saying everything you do is awful. I'm saying, right, sometimes something happens and you do something that's solid, right? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. Like, like you show up and all of a sudden you find yourself, there's someone needy that's around you. And you show up to your neighbor when you're tired and exhausted, you got no energy left. You don't know where that strength comes from. Listen, you can say you're an awesome person, but maybe just maybe if we insist on the gospel, that goodness came from Jesus doing a powerful work in our heart that made us put aside our schedule and show kindness to our neighbor who was suffering. Maybe that moment when your marriage was on the rocks and you thought it was all gonna come crumbling down and there was that moment where you felt like, man, that fight, it's about to happen. I'm in the thick of things and all of a sudden something happened in your heart and you shut your mouth and you repented of your sin and asked your spouse to forgive you and things started to heal. You think that was because of your goodness? Or do we say the gospel did something in us that kept my crazy sinful heart from wrecking my spouse? Listen, we insist on the gospel. That's what we do as a church. We insist, like it's, it's the only thing that we teach. And I'm just, I'm gonna tell you right now, I believe that is rare in the church. 
I, I really do. Please like hear me out. You may say that's not like the craziest thing you've ever heard. Let me just, let me just tell you. I, so there was a time that I was a children's pastor and let me tell you what I did as a children's pastor. I looked at kids curriculum over and over and over again. They would send curriculum to me by the box loads for free because they wanted us to buy their curriculum. And I got tons of it. Actually, there was a time that I got a sampling of every curriculum that kids ministry had that existed in the United States of America that was published in any type of large publication. I mean, I must've gone through 20 different kids ministry curriculums, 20. I'm, I'm not kidding you. And I, I'm telling you right now, there was very few, actually, to be honest, there was zero, zero that had this focus on the gospel. They tried, like they would say things like, listen, look at David and Goliath. Look at how big and strong Goliath is and look at how brave that David was. You can be brave just like David. Listen, that sounds great, but you know what they didn't say? They just say, no, you can't be brave just like David. I don't want you to be brave without Jesus. I want you to see this story that's about this little kid, that there's a God that's so strong that he even used a little kid to kill a giant. I don't need you thinking you need to be brave. I need you thinking God is big and kind and gracious. That's what it means to have a gospel focus. That every command of scripture, I run to Jesus to do a work in my heart. Every story of the Bible is about his hugeness and his greatness, not my awesomeness. That's a gospel focus, church. And churches are spending their time trying to tell you to be clean. You need to clean yourself. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Do this. Be nice people. Don't say bad words. Don't watch bad TV shows. We drill morality into each other over and over and over and over again. And the whole time we're teaching you, you don't need the gospel of Jesus. You just need to be good. That is not an insistence on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, our insistence is that, is that we are not clean and he is. And he can actually clean us and he can actually change us and he can actually make us live clean lives. That's totally different than you clean yourself and you live a clean life. Do you see that difference? Man, I hope you do. And I hope this, I don't know, you may get a new job and move out of the state tomorrow, wherever you go, whatever pasture you ever put yourself under, don't tolerate anything less than insistence on the gospel preaching of Jesus Christ. Don't take it. I'm just telling you, only Jesus and his gospel. And listen, I would, I would I could shout out that one if you wanted. Maybe I'm not getting after it enough here. Uh, make me feel like you're listening to me, like you can clap, you can yell. I don't care, get after it. But we only want the gospel, all right? Uh, Y'all ain't gonna clap. I get it. That's okay. All right. All right, too soon, too soon. Well, I'll work on you on that one, okay? Is that a deal? I'll, I'll let the gospel work on you and clapping more. Maybe I should say it that way. Um, that's not a gospel issue, but let me move on. Let, let me give you a couple books that I think might actually help with that. It, if that's a new subject to you, you want to wrestle with it, there's two books I suggest. One is called Gospel Centered Life by Thune and Walker. That's best done with friends in a group. It's pretty simple, but it really helps with this idea of gospel. Well, the other one is the other book, Gospel Fluency by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. Um, those two books, Gospel Centered Life by Thune and Walker and Gospel Fluency by Vanderstelt. Those to me are some of the best books to help wrap your brain around this idea of an insistence on the gospel in everything that we do. But, but let me show you something else here because that 
If I'm not careful, you will hear that and you will hear, man, that's a whole lot of theory that the insistence of the church is that we just say good news to everyone. We give a gospel hug to everyone that comes in, right? Like, oh, you did a horrible thing last week. That's okay. Hug. Jesus loves you. Let's sing some songs and go on. No, no. there's more to this because this gospel is not just theoretical for your mind. It's powerful for your hands. Okay, it doesn't just change the way you think and how you feel. It actually changes the way you live. Look at what he says here in verse eight. I'm gonna read that whole verse again so you get the run up to it. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things, these gospel things, why? So that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What does it say is gonna happen when you insist on the gospel? It produces this devotion to doing good works as a church. He says it also over there in verse 14. If you just hop over a few verses in your Bible, verse 14, look at what Paul says to him. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And look at the explanation. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. He also said it in verse one early. You remember that? Right there at the end of verse one, he said to be ready for every good work. Listen, here's the insistence. When the gospel is insisted on, it's not just gospel speak to one another. It's gospel works. It's a gospel mission. When the gospel's at work in you, it sends you out to be ready to do every good work. The gospel's not something that makes us sit in a pew and listen to a sermon every week. The gospel's a thing that changes the way we live our lives. It drives us to good works. It drives us to serve and love our neighbors. It drives us to the needy and the struggling and the hurting and the broken. It drives us to the, to the darkest parts of our city. Like the parts of our city that need the light the most, it drives us there. It drives us to the places where people are addicted. And we say, we got good news. You got struggles, so do we, but we got the answer and his name is Jesus. He's stronger than your addiction and we're gonna find a way to come alongside you and throw down with everything we have with the gospel of Jesus to help you see that he's good because he's got good news for you if you're addicted. You're wrapped up in poverty? Listen, be rich in good works, especially to those of urgent need. Like, shouldn't that drive us? Doesn't that say that the gospel drives us to the urgent needs in our city? Listen, it also tells us something. Yeah, we, we talk about the darkest places of our city. I'm actually partially convinced that the darkest places of our city are the richest places in our city. I'm convinced that the most arrogant, self-righteous people who have the most broken inner lives are the richest people in our city because they don't need anyone. And they will tell all of you to shove off. You show up there saying, listen, you needed Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. They're like, man, he didn't help me. I helped me. Listen, that, that's just, those are dark places and we as a church got to find out how to help them see their spiritual need. Church, we, we cannot, we cannot be a people that love to talk about the gospel, but not be engaged in the gospel mission. We, we can't. That's disrespect to the gospel. It's just not honest. That's not the real deal. When the gospel's at work, it changes us and drives us out with good works to those who need it. Right? 
Like church, I, I, I love this. Like this, this gets me excited. Like I start thinking through things and saying, God, what are you doing in the people of this church? What gospel work are you doing that's burning in some of the men and women in, this, in these seats right now? That they're sitting there saying, man, I think, you talk about addiction. Man, maybe, is there some of you here that maybe God is equipped for that? Or maybe, maybe you're not ready yet, but there's something burning in you and he wants to send you to it. Listen, we should come alongside and help you get there and go after the darkest places in our city. Listen, you feel called to, to whatever it is. It might be addiction. It might be the sexually broken. You start thinking about all the wounds that help happen to people through, through sex. And, and listen, that list could be huge. Those who've been abused, those who've been raped, those who've been the offenders, those who've been addicted to pornography, those who are struggling with gender identity. Listen, the gospel's good news. And the church's job is not to sit here and throw all sorts of names and sticks and stones at them and be angry that they're broken. Our job is the good news. That we're saying, you get over here. And you know what? I'm coming to you. And I'm going to show you grace and mercy like you've never known that makes the cheap grace and the fake mercy our culture offers be unsatisfying to you. I'm going to offer you good news and acceptance that's eternal and everlasting that you can't shake. Not some cheap fleeting thing that's good until you tweet the wrong thing and then they cancel you. Listen, church, we, we've got good news for the broken. And let me remind us, we are the broken. Right? Y'all know that? Let's, can we not pretend for a moment? We're not here because the broken are out there. We're here because the broken are here. Uh, and on this stage, I'm standing before you as a man deeply broken. Sin rewired me and jacked me up. I mean, I'm talking just ruined me. And then Jesus showed up with good news for me. Yeah, doesn't clap, y'all. I'll clap about it. I'm happy because he showed me good news. All right, listen. Church, here's what I want. I, I just want us to know that the gospel is really good news and insist on nothing less and also follow that up with gospel mission. And I, I'm giving examples in our city. I haven't even mentioned the globe. I haven't even gone down the path of what it looks like to care deeply about the most unreached people who have almost no gospel access throughout our world. There are literally billions of people who have never even met a Christian let alone heard the good news of Jesus. Listen up, there's work to be done. I don't want to have time to get distracted by all sorts of other things that aren't the gospel. We got gospel that we insist on being taught and we've got gospel work that we insist on doing by the power of the gospel. That's the good news, church. That's what Paul is telling Titus to insist on in the church. You don't do anything else, you do this. And then look at what he says here. Because he adds, he's going to keep emphasizing this insistence. Verse 9, he says this. Listen, you, you need to be careful that you devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent. It's profitable. It's good for people for the church to be this way. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies. Who gets wrapped up in genealogies? I don't even know who the knucklehead is. That, and that's not that Ancestry.com thing. I'm not talking, he's not saying don't do Ancestry.com. That's not what Paul is saying here. I'll explain that in a moment. He said, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law for they're unprofitable 
and worthless. Listen, let me go over these things. Foolish controversies, uh, I think the Greek is better said moronic debates. Uh, and that word foolish is actually moronic, right? It's just tons of like the insanity that's around. As an example, I give you all of Twitter. Um, genealogies, the other thing that's going on with genealogies, is there's this Jewish like in this time in the first several centuries, uh, uh, first several hundred years of of the time of Christ and Paul and them, the Jewish religion was very focused on genealogies, almost like they would add these myths to it. Like they would get into these genealogies and say, man, let me tell you this story that I heard about this genealogy. And it would just, it was like this secret knowledge you have to try to get after. You could only get it if someone knew the story. You would never just get it from the word and all these things that would make it sound amazing and fantastic. It was just this, this crazy obsession with the unique and, and insane, like, like just almost a fantastic, I don't know, fictional. Or dissensions, this refers to getting involved in hostile disagreements and rivalries, like dividing into party lines. Does that one sting? If not, I'll, I'll point it out a little bit more. Quarrels about the law. Like you can imagine that with so many Jewish false teachers that were trying to infiltrate the church, you can imagine the discussions that would happen about the Mosaic law, right? Let's talk about bacon. Let's talk about pork. Let's talk about how to wash your hands and how to dress. Let's talk about circumcision. Let's talk about the Sabbath. You can imagine all these things that these new believers are showing up and some dude shows up with the Old Testament saying, let me tell you about the Torah, man. Right? And all of a sudden now they're getting in all these arguments over and over and over again about the law and the rules that God has for you. Listen, church, Paul was concerned that these new churches would get quickly distracted from the gospel message and detoured from the gospel mission by all of these good or distracting things. He says, Titus, avoid it. Steer clear. When you see it coming, you need to get out of the way. Don't let people get into that foolishness. Don't don't let them go down that path. I, th I think this is a really strong warning for us that there are a lot of things that we can get distracted about. And I began asking myself this question. If Paul was writing Titus today to the city of Tallahassee and he was saying, Titus, I left you in Tallahassee to get those churches set up and in order and I want them to avoid, I wonder what his list would say. I wonder what you think his list would say. Because I, I wrote what I think his list would say. What are all the things that distract us from the gospel message and the gospel mission? And I only wrote four, and there's a load of them. Politics. Is that not a distraction for the church in the United States today? I mean, come on, man. Like, like, Right now, I'm just telling you, the, the thing that's happening in churches is if you don't fall, like you, you will lose your job as a pastor if you do not fall in line with that church's political party. Because they want, that, that, they don't care if you preach the gospel, they care if you, you preach their party's platform. Whether that's Republican or Democrat, they don't care. They just want you to be on that platform that they've said. And the church is almost hyper-focused, almost exclusively on politics. And it's a distraction from the gospel. I'm not saying you shouldn't know what's going on in politics. Not saying that. I'm saying, let me say it this way. If the churches in the United States would spend half the time reading their Bible, 
that they spend trying to think through political things or half the time that they spend watching MSNBC or Fox News, our churches will be on fire for Jesus right now. Just give me half of your news time. Just half. Like, I mean, listen, we are obsessed with conspiracy theories. Did Russia do it? Was it QAnon or however you say that insane word? Like, is it to do with some kind of crazy fur coat charging the Capitol? Like our country is wrapped up in conspiracy theories. That doesn't sound like genealogies to you back then. Listen, I, you don't have to watch the news long to know that they're just trying to divide everyone and split you up. It doesn't matter what news thing you've got. They've got an agenda for you and it's not uniting us. Listen, I think about fringe doctrines. I haven't seen much of that here in Tallahassee. I haven't seen the crazy stuff that pops up, but there was a time that, man, there was a group at my last church, uh, they were called the Torah class. Dude, they had some kind of, they had some crazy to them, okay? Like, and all they wanted to focus on was just the Torah. Every time they got together, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they didn't want to celebrate Easter. They didn't want to celebrate Christmas. They didn't want to do any of that stuff because they only wanted to celebrate all the Old Testament festivals, Right? Like there's this like unhealthy obsession with like these weird derailing doctrines that they just people would get honed in on this little small thing and they missed the big picture. Church, here's what Paul is saying. We are supposed to be after the gospel, the good news, we're supposed to be after the gospel mission and don't allow anything to distract from that. Church, don't be distracted. Keep your eye on the prize of Jesus Christ and his good news. Don't be wrapped up in trying to do all these other cabillion things that draw you away from gospel truths and gospel living. You cling and you cling only to Jesus and his good news. Listen, I, I look at that and I'm just, I'm shocked by it. But if you think that's hard, wait till you see what he says in verse 10 and 11. And it's still the same topic. Saying, don't let them get distracted. Look at verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, and let me tell you what I think he means by that. A person who keeps stirring up these unhealthy controversies, these genealogies, these dissensions, these quarrels about the law. There's a person in the church, he keeps stirring it up saying, hold on, I know you want to talk about Jesus, but have you seen what the Republicans just passed in Senate? I know you want to talk about the good news and serving our neighbors, but do you know what the Democrats just did with abortion? Hey, I know that there's some needy people in there, but we got to get this petition signed. You better get it to the church and get it right now or you're not a faithful minister of the gospel. So the person who keeps stirring that up, look, look at Paul's statements. He says, as for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Dude, like, hold on, Paul. Shouldn't you be saving that for like the sinners? Like, like, shouldn't you be saying for the person living with his girlfriend, warn him once, warn him twice and kick him out? Hey, Paul, shouldn't you be more concerned? I mean, they're Cretes, like the Cretans, bro. We already know they're evil beasts. They're probably visiting cult prostitutes to worship God. Like, shouldn't you warn that guy, if you visit a prostitute again, you're out of here? Of all the things that Paul picks a fight with and says, you got two shots, buddy, and you're gone. You know what it is? The person is going to keep steering the church away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. 
Paul says to be patient with people who are wrapped up in sin, to show them grace and mercy and come alongside of them over and over and over and over again. And in conflict, you're meeting one-on-one, then you're meeting two-on-one, then you're getting a whole group together. Like there's this patience for conflict. There's this patience for sin. But when it comes to division, dude, he's throwing down saying, I'm telling you, warning number three, better not come because I'm dealing with you. That's, That's pretty aggressive, right? Here's what I want you to hear in that. I don't need y'all going around saying, that's number one, buddy, strike one. Please, can we just not do that right now? Uh, The point is not how many strikes you give a person and when do they step into that? Maybe that is for leadership. We'll figure that out. The point for us is that's how serious a gospel focus is. It's that serious. Where he's saying, no, you, you don't, that's all you do. You insist on it and you don't let them go down all those distracting things. And if some dude keeps stirring it up, but you get after that dude and you get after him quick because that stuff will spread and ruin a church. The gospel is what we're about. The gospel mission is what we do. It is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And if those teachers keep insisting, here's what he says you know about them in verse 11. You know that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Like that, that dude, he's wrecking himself and he'll take everyone else with him. You stop him. Church, let's be about gospel people. And I just want to take a moment as I'm wrapping up to remind you of what that gospel is. I mentioned the good news that Paul was getting after in verses three through seven. Can I just read it to you one last time in the book of Titus so you can hear the good news? And I I wanna remind you of the good news of Jesus. And, And wherever you're at today, you just let God apply it to your heart and how you need it. Verse three, let me read it again. If we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Let me just hit pause. Like, you remember when you were wrapped up in sin? Maybe today that's not when, maybe that's you are right now. Listen, look at that next word that's huge. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. I want you to take a moment. I want you to remember when God showed you his goodness and loving kindness. I want you to remember right now when he saved you. You remember that? When you first realized that he died on the cross for you, when it was first burning in your heart and you asked him to save you and you finished praying, you stood up and you're like, dude, that's the, that's the best I've ever felt in my entire life. I feel the relief. The weight is lifted off. I cannot believe I'm forgiven. You remember that? Man, he showed you Loving kindness and mercy. He showed me loving kindness and mercy. And why did he do that? Verse five, not because of works done by us in righteousness. He didn't save me because I worked hard. Doesn't save me because I had potential. Why? But according to his own mercy. Listen, you don't earn it. You don't work to keep it. He gives it because he's that kind tell you what else is good news. Look what else is. It says this, how was I saved? Verse five, by the washing of regeneration. In other words, he cleaned me and made me brand new. Listen, here's the good news. Not based on what you, you didn't clean yourself. The good news is that Jesus cleaned you. If you're in Jesus, you need to hear me. You're clean today. It says he renewed us. He made you new. He gave you a new heart. He put the Holy Spirit in you. That's what it says. Renew of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, whom he poured out on us richly. He lavishly dumped tons of Holy Spirit grace on you and me. 
Here's what else that means. That means you still have the Holy Spirit dumped on you right now. You're not by yourself trying to do this thing. He's put himself in you with power and strength and not just a little bit. See how it says he poured him out on us? Not teeny tiny, not a smidge, not a drop. What does it say there? It says right there, I just lost my place. Uh, verse five somewhere. By the washing of the renew of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, whom he poured out on us richly. He poured him out on you richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this last part, so that be, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen, he made you a son or daughter and he's got an inheritance for you and it's gonna be awesome. There's a reward for your labor and it's gonna be worth it. And he himself will give it to you and I when we see him face to face. That's good news. Listen, the good news is based on his mercy, not your work. The good news is based on his death on the cross, not your performance and showing up to church on Sunday. And listen, I'm glad you're here. It'd be really awkward to be at church on Memorial Day by myself. I'm, I'm saying Jesus isn't happy with you because you showed up to church. He's happy with you because you placed your trust in him. And there's power. There's really strong power to help you kill whatever sin is chasing you down. Power that can save your life and save your marriage and change your heart and work on your kids. Listen, the gospel is good news. And I pray that we be a people that would be focused on the good news of Jesus and the mission that flows out of it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Right now, I'm going to lead us in a time of response. Right now, in your seat, I just kind of want to ask you a few questions. Listen, did Jesus call you to anything today? Was there anything that you felt him convicting you of? You said, I mean, I need to repent of that distraction. Or I need to repent of that sin. Would you just run to him and ask you to forgive you? He'll do it. He's merciful and patient. Or maybe you felt him calling you to a good work. It was clear to you that he was, he's calling you to get after some work, whether that's to a neighbor or a coworker or, or something else. Listen, will you call him and ask him to help you do it? And would you do it by his power? Maybe you've just been distracted with all sorts of things. The gospel feels like the last thing you need. Listen, would you, would you repent of being distracted and cry out to him to waken your heart so that his good news would really feel like good news to you? Finally, I don't want to just rush past this moment and just assume that everyone here has actually placed their trust in Jesus. Because if you're here today and it doesn't matter how long you've been in church or how long you've been at this church, if you've never really come to a moment in your life where you felt like, you know what, I, I realize that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died for me and I'm, I'm asking him to save me. I'm putting all my hope and trust in what he did for me. If you've never done that, would you, would you do that right there in your seat? Just simply ask him to forgive you and tell him that you believe that he came and died for you. Listen, in a moment I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna guide us to a time of response and our time of response will look like this. We're all gonna stand and we're gonna sing a song of worship to God, praising him for the gospel good news. 
Our pastors will be down front. If you'd like to speak to one of us, we'd love to talk to you. If you wanna pray, we're gonna open up this altar, uh, whatever this marble thing is here in the front for you to actually spend some time with God. You can do that in your seat, you can do it down front. We don't care where you do it, but if God worked in your heart, do something about it, all right? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, you see us. And I'm grateful that you see us with love and mercy and kindness and grace because of the work of Jesus. And God, I pray you would help us to be a people. God, make us a people that are only attuned to your good news. God, make us people that are attuned to your good news in a way that we go out and do every good work that you call us to. God, I pray you would work in our midst. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.